and uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I asked the Lord, why this this evening? So we're going to talk about patience tonight, uh, but I have you in the book of James, and so if you'll turn there with me, James chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7, we'll read on through verse 12. Let's all stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God tonight, beginning in verse 7, <clears throat> and we'll read on through verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay lest ye fall into condemnation. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. I ask you to encourage hearts tonight. Lord, I do <clears throat> pray for Pam and her mom this evening. I ask that you would work there. Pray for the Fishers tonight, Lord, and ask for your hand there. Pray for Sandy's uh, grandmother. And uh, Lord, just be with the uh, Wessels, uh, be with Richard. And uh, Lord, just encourage their hearts. Uh, Father, help us uh, just to uh, win the loss to Christ here through Calvary Chapel. Let this place be a lighthouse, Lord, that even folks are drawn unto Calvary because your name is lifted up. Lord, help us to know you better, and Lord, to make you known, and may you give us the courage as we're out and about each and every day. Take the opportunity to, Lord, hand out a gospel tract to someone. For, Lord, it's not always about an organized time, but, Lord, it's about what we do every day. And taking the opportunity when you present it to us to hand out a tract or to share the gospel with someone so, Lord, let us be mindful of you as we go out about our days. Lord, be with us tonight in the midst of this service. I pray for just a, uh, Lord, just a sweet spirit tonight, asking for your hand in the service. Encourage hearts tonight, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Patience. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I've shared the story, I know, multiple times. I believe I've done it here. I used to have a guy at Westmoreland. <clears throat> that he said that he used to number my illustrations, uh, that stories I would tell. And uh, so he said he had them numbered 1 through 572 at that time. And uh, so anyway, I got done telling one of the stories he came down. And he said, that was number 572. And uh, so, <clears throat> but, uh, but I know I'm re- repetitious like that. But you know who else was repetitious? Jesus Christ. <laughs> he used to tell people things over and over again just to try to get it to stick, you know. Uh, patience is tough. I told the story about being in line, <clears throat> had one item, and a guy, a uh, lady in front of me had a cart full of stuff, and guess where I am? Walmart, right? And uh, so at Walmart, she's uh, there, so I look down, and I see a guy with a basketball, and I thought, yep, <clears throat> that's the line I'm going to go get in because he's going to get that basketball. He's gone, right? And so as I walk up to that line, and I get up there, I think, man, we're out of here. And you can hear just behind me there, boop, 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 boop. And I'm waiting, and the lady says, can we get a price check on a basketball? And I'm thinking to myself, come on, man. So I'm standing there, and I was kind of in a hurry, and and so (laughs) I'm hearing behind me, boop, boop. And so the guy's just standing there with the basketball, and he's just kind of twirling it like this and holding on to the basketball, and 
can we get a price check on a basketball? And, and finally I hear, boop. I hear nothing else. And <clears throat> the lady has all her bags now in her cart, and she's going off. And I'm standing behind a guy with a basketball. And I thought to myself, God just taught me a lesson, did he not? Sometimes patience helps, doesn't it? And when you think about patience, patience is a term that we like to share with others. How many of you have told your kids, listen, just be patient? How many of us told our kids that? How many of us are impatient? <laughs> and, uh, and so we get to that place, but we need to be patient in our personal lives. Now think about this. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Now that doesn't fit into my bailiwick all the time because I run out of patience and I find myself if not externally, but internally, getting upset. How many of you get upset whenever you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm next. (laughs) What happened here? And so we run out of patience for things. Now, the Lord will allow situations to enter into our lives as He's trying to shape and mold us, as we saw this morning. God's always trying to shape and mold us for His use. And so there are times when trouble arises, and the Lord is using your life as a testimony to the others, and He'll carry you through the situation. If you think that not to be true... Just think about when he said, think about the patience of Job. And, and, you know, Job kept his moral integrity through that entire situation. But, but consider how of tender mercy God was toward Job in the end of all of that. And I believe God carried Job through that time. And, and so sometimes God allows things to enter into our lives. And really, he's using your life uh, as an example to others. And he's wanting you to maintain a good relationship with him and maintain your testimony, maintain that patience in your life as you may be going through something. And he wants you to have that kind of a spirit, that kind of an attitude. Why? Because that demonstrates the glory of God. And sometimes we always think everything's just about us. Agreed? We just think it's about us. And the reality is that sometimes you might be going through something because it's not about you at all. It may be about what God's doing in your life to help someone else. Now, you say, well, preacher, how do you know that to be true? I think Job's a perfect example of that. Amen? Job is a perfect example of going through something and God using his life to be a demonstration to us. Now, the challenge and the thought is this. Do you endure patiently in times of waiting and suffering? Waiting and suffering. Are you patient? Now, the Lord uses the trials of this life to help you trust him more as you turn to him in your times of need. And I think James describes two levels of endurance here. One is patience and waiting, and the other one is patience and suffering. And we'll see this in just a moment, but these are two kinds of things that are taking place, and I think he's trying to help these folks understand this. Now, why give this message to these people? Why to this group of folks? Because I believe they were being persecuted. And he was saying, listen, the time is coming. Be patient because the Lord is coming. The time draweth nigh. You need to be patient and waiting. That's the first thing. And in the midst of your suffering, listen, take it patiently. And, and, and Peter goes on to explain that even further about, you know, if we, we suffer for doing good and we take it patiently, that's acceptable with God. And that's hard for us to understand that, but it's a true statement from the Word of God. And there are times whenever you're doing right and you're doing the right things and you're doing it the right way and you're having the right attitude and you're having the right spirit and yet you're suffering as a result of that. Job did that, didn't he? And he went through great deals of trouble even though he was doing right. And so as we look at this tonight, James describes these two levels of endurance, patience and waiting and then patience and suffering. And so this first level of endurance is the patience and waiting. And, you know, to be patient... 
is to be forbearing, to be long-spirited, to uh, be long-suffering or to endure. And many will admit that's not a strong suit for us. But think about how the Bible, as we were looking at it this morning, and God is long-suffering, is He not? He's patient. And and why does God show His patience? God shows His patience, and why is God long-suffering? Why does He do this? Because He desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I want you to just consider this in your own Christian life. Are there times that God's desiring for you to be long-suffering, to be forbearing, because He wants to demonstrate to someone else His salvation? And He may be using your life as that example of the difference between what they're going through and the troubles they may be facing, and then watching you maybe go through trouble knowing that you're a Christian. And maybe they're not, but they're watching your life. And when they're watching your life, what do they see? And do they see this person of patience in times of trouble? Now, the test given to God's people set forth by James here is to forbear, to wait on the Lord, and he provides reasons for this patience. And one of the things is he talks about a husbandman. And by the way, a husbandman, Brother uh, Chris, is just a farmer. Amen? Not just a farmer. He could be just like you. Amen? But it's a farmer. He's talking about a husbandman, and he's talking about a farmer here. And he says the husbandman is the land worker or the farmer and realizes that the source that will bring forth the valuable goods or fruit will require waiting for that source. And you know what that source is? Rain. It's a good thing, isn't it? Now, not too much rain, just enough rain, right? So, Lord, bring the rain. Oh, Lord, stop the rain. Oh, Lord, bring the rain, right? And so you're constantly asking God to provide that source that you need. And what he talks about, and by the, in, in Palestine around that time, you know, there were two uh, rains annually. So they had to wait patiently as they would plant and grow, and, and they had to wait patiently on the rains to come in to provide what they needed. <clears throat> you know, there weren't irrigation ditches and all that kind of stuff in their time uh, to provide this all the time. But what they had uh, was to wait upon the rain. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe the reason James said that is this one reason. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our hardships, you wait on the source. You wait on the source to bring forth what you need. You wait on God and you wait patiently on Him because in the midst of your waiting, He'll bring forth what needs to be brought forth. (laughs) And I really believe when He uses this as an example, because without the rain, there would be no fruit, amen? And so without patience, sometimes there's no fruit because we're not patient. We're just not willing to wait for something. How many of you watch your kids not willing to wait? How many of you would like to roll back the clock now and say, you know what, if I had to do it all over again, man, it'd be great to be 12 riding my bike and going fishing when I felt like it. Amen? (laughs) Just wanting to do what I want to do. I mean, it'd be great if we could roll back the clock. If we could do those kinds of things. When you look at this, and he's talking about this idea of being waiting. He says, with the rain there will be no fruit, but the farmer must be patient. Sometimes children and young people are not patient, are they? They're just not patient at all. How many of you agree with that? You see impatience. Do you know what impatience causes sometimes? It causes severe credit problems for young people. It causes severe credit problems for young people. Impatience can do that. Do you know why? You know what? They sent me this piece of plastic in the mail, and they said, I have this much money. No, you don't. You don't have anything. (laughs) You got nothing. And when you use it, they are going to charge you for that because you're using somebody else's money. Amen? And when you use it, and then the payment comes, and then you realize by the time you've paid off whatever it is that you put on that plastic, you can't even remember why you were paying it off. 
And what happens is impatience. And listen, greedy people, wealthy people, people that invest in credit cards know that about us. They know that stuff. And so they say, oh, we'll just give you this. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was growing up, I had family members that would brag about their credit. You know how much credit I have? I don't know. And I didn't even really know what that meant. But if it meant I was getting an ice cream or going to McDonald's out of you, let's roll, right? (laughs) And so the thing of it was is that they think that by having that, it makes you something. It doesn't. You know what we don't want to do today? We're not patient for anything. We've got to have it win. Now, just watch yourself or just watch people, even in the line at McDonald's. There's a lot of impatience takes place. I mean, we have to have two lines now to go up to McDonald's, right? And there are two lines that come up there, and we each get to go. And did you ever wonder, like, how do they figure out, you know, like, you just want to make sure, you know, is there a camera took my picture? I don't know. How'd they get it? I don't know. And I just want to go inside and say, how'd that work out for you guys? How'd you do that? So we get up there, right? And here's the thing. From the time you roll up till you get up to the little speaker and, you know, I'll have, an, you know, did you ever listen to them? It's like, yeah, let me have, you know, and, uh, but you get this. And then in 90 seconds, think about this, in 90 seconds, you got something to stuff your gut with. We're impatient, aren't we? Hey, listen, you know what I love? Grits. I don't like instant grits. I like the real stuff. Amen? And when people make real grits, it tastes different than instant grits. Then you know the package, you know, you get it. And I, by the way, I do this at home sometimes. You take that packet and I'm, I'm like down in the mouth. What causes instant grits? Because people are impatient. Right? You gotta have instant grits because you can't hold out. Everything has to be when? Now. Now. That's impatience, isn't it? Now I want you to get a hold of this tonight. There are two rainy seasons in that Palestine time, and what they're waiting on is that water to water the crops. So James is saying to the people and to the readers, the Lord is returning, so be patient. In the meantime, go about the work as a good husbandman or farmer, working with those that need the Lord. Go do your job. Get out there in the fields. Amen. Go do what needs to be done. Be a good husbandman. <laughs> be a good farmer. Go, go do what you're supposed to do. The Lord is the source. He'll provide what you need. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. And I believe patience for the Christian requires you to turn resolutely in a certain direction. It has the idea of to establish or to be steadfast. It has the idea of set or strengthen your heart, knowing the truth of the Lord's return. And James uses the phrase that should cause all believers to have this comfort. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He's coming. You say, well, preacher, he hadn't showed up yet. (laughs) And so does that cause us to become impatient? Does that cause us, and I believe that's what was happening to the people, we're going through this suffering. Why is all this taking place? Let me give you some verses. I shared a couple of these this morning, and I got to thinking about it as I was preaching this morning. These verses started to come out, and I was wondering if it was because I wrote this first. Consider what the Scriptures confirm about the return of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. He says, for this, or 18, he says, For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, uh, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to them with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So I think when James is saying this, he's saying to them, 
you know, listen, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, you know, stand fast, steadfast in this. Why? Because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And then the Bible backs all that up. And he tells us that he's coming again. Amen? And so when you read this in 1 Thessalonians, then he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised and corruptible, and we shall be changed. God says, I'm coming back. Things are going to change. Amen? By the way, how many of you believe God? Amen? It's going to happen. You know, I, I, I wonder... I wonder what the world is going to think at that time. You know what I mean? It's almost like, I, you know, when we get to heaven, we are going to want to come back here. I promise you that. Amen. You get to heaven, we're out of here. We're like, yeah, whatever. And uh, I think when we're there, it'd be that way. But just for a moment, I'd like to hear the news broadcast. Today, aliens landed upon the earth and removed all these people. <laughs> you know, I just wonder what the broadcast is going to be. We don't quite understand that a lot of folks just disappeared today, you know. And, and maybe, maybe some Vegas, uh, 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 some Vegas, uh, uh, what do you call it, magician, will take credit for it or something. I don't know. But I just wonder what's going to be going through their minds. Can you imagine what God's really talking about here? When he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you know what a twinkling of an eye is? You can't even see it. It happens so fast. And I'm thinking, I wonder what's going to be going on. Now, James says, be patient. The time of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He's coming back. Oh, when he comes back, what a glorious day. We sing all these songs. And I wonder, how much do we believe about even what we sing? How much do we believe about what we read? How much do we really count on this truth? 2 Peter 3, 9-13, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. You see, what was happening is all this while in this time, they were saying, well, God hadn't showed up yet. I mean, at Thessalonica, they were saying, hey, what's the sense? We might as well not even work. I don't know. You know, what, what should we do? Nothing. And then Peter's dealing with the same issue, you know, and they say, hey, it hadn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen. I want to tell you, God's not slack concerning His promise. Amen. As some men count slackness, God's reason for holding back is He's holding back His own wrath. What we do deserve, He's holding it back. And He goes on to explain this. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Anita and I used to live in an apartment complex. And uh, in this apartment complex that we were in, somebody was driving through in the evenings and they were coming through and they were just, I don't know, I mean, they had joy and slicing people's tires and taking boulders and just throwing them through the windshields of cars. And for whatever reason, mine got chosen twice. And so me, I'm thinking, I'm parking my car. I'm on the third floor. I'm going to park my car right there. There's a street light right there. So I set up a video camera. So I got home late one night, and I didn't get my spot. So I had to park somewhere else. The night I had to park somewhere else, guess when the thief came? You know, while I had the video camera set up, and I'm waiting, and waiting, 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 do you know the Bible says Jesus is going to come like a thief in the what? If we knew when he was coming, we'd be ready, right? And, and so what Jesus is saying, he's going to come like a thief in the night, so he always tells us, be ready. He's returning. And, and here he tells us this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He said, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, James. is telling us, listen, be patient. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be patient. 
And so we allow this life to consume us, or we allow ourselves to be consumed by this life. And he says, The Lord cometh to the thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away in a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen? So patience means that we're looking forward to the future, knowing what he's going to bring to us. But anyway, the Bible backs up what James says. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. How many of you realize the statement that it's closer today than it was yesterday, right? It's closer now than it was this morning. The return of the Lord is imminent, and it'll happen. Now, James uses the thought of the return of the Savior to encourage you and I to be aware of our actions and our behavior. And the specific actions are regarding the relationship that we have one another. And he says this, grudge not uh, one against another. He tells us, do not hold grudges. Don't, don't sigh and murmur against another person. Uh, you know, having a persistent feeling of ill will and resentment or maintaining that feeling of ill will and resentment toward other people. Do you know who that really hurts? Yeah. It doesn't hurt that other person. Sometimes they don't even know that you're doing it. You're hurting yourself by doing those things sometimes because you're holding this resentment and this grudge towards somebody they may not even know or even care. And so God says, do not hold grudges. And when you hold a grudge, the condemnation comes upon you. Look at what he says here. He says, grudge not one against another, brother, unless she be condemned. He didn't say unless they be condemned, but you be condemned because you're holding the grudge. You're the one that's holding on to the thing. So don't hold on to it. Let it go. And so he goes on and he says this. He says, uh, he says uh, behold, the judge standeth before the door. Not you, the judge. Who will judge those that do you wrong? God will. He'll take care of it. He'll handle the problem. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God takes care of those things. God handles those things for us. Now, as we look at this, he says, when you hold a grudge, condemnation comes up on you, not another. You bring it on yourself. So that sentence or that judgment that you're thinking they should have, <laughs> it's going to fall upon you. So I want you to consider this tonight. That's why you're reminded about who the judge is. I think he says he's standing at the door and does what? He's standing there. He's standing at the door. He's waiting. And listen, he will handle the judgment. Amen? He'll handle the judgment. So often, we not only want to handle the judgment, we want to be judge and jury, and we also want to tie the noose. And we want to hang them. And we want to watch it happen. And God says, I don't think so. He's the judge. Now, the purpose of sharing the Lord's soon return should cause you to avoid these types of actions in the midst of all that this life throws at us. And so you're to be patient to wait upon the Lord. But also, I believe in this, in the midst of the hardships, the Lord also wants you to endure. When you look at verse 10, would you look at that with me? He says, take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord. Now notice this. For an example of suffering affliction. What? <laughs> you mean suffering and affliction is for an example to who? Why do we have to go through stuff to be an example for other people? Because God said so. And sometimes we do go through suffering and affliction 
because God's using you. And he clearly says right here, he says, take my brother and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord. Now, why did they suffer affliction? Why was that suffering and affliction coming? Because they spoke in the name of the what? Lord. I want to tell you, sometimes suffering and affliction comes because you talk about God. Because you want people to get saved. Because you're trying to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it just comes. And so the second level of endurance is patience and suffering. And James uses those in the past to help you and me see that suffering and affliction are there to help us realize that God wants us to remain patient in the midst of our trials at times because He's using that. And He may be using it to demonstrate something to someone else. I shared this story this afternoon with uh, Anita's uh, brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, Todd. Uh, We were talking and and uh, he was just telling me about a, a circumstance, a situation that occurred. But I worked with this lady named Ann, and Ann was just tough. And, and, and Ann just would not cut me a break. I, I mean, I, I, I remember after I got hired, I think the lady barely spoke two words to me. And we were in the same department, in the same area, working on the same articles at the same time. She barely spoke two words to me at times. And then I found out that when I got hired, my salary was the same as hers. So that's the first thing that upset her. Are you with me? So I got hired coming in at what she had worked multiple years for. I didn't know, but she was mad at me about that. And then she was mad about the fact that I had received a raise after the first year. So she was really upset with me now. I had no idea. But I would go down every day, and I was saved now, and I would go downstairs, and I would take my Bible, and I'd go in the lunchroom, and I'd read my Bible. And I would spend time in prayer. I'd go on my lunch hour, and I'd go, and I'd pray, and I'd read my Bible. And, and then I had Romans 1.16 on my computer, and it would spin on my computer. You know, it was my screensaver. <laughs> well, she turned me in and said that we can't have anything religious in our in our cubicles, and she sat just right across from me now. We're like right here in the same cubicle. She was upset. Then we had to take a class together. And when we took this class together, we're in the class, and I was walking down the hallway, and I knew Ann's voice, but Ann never really talked to me. And, and so I'm walking down the hallway, and I hear her say, Bob, and I thought, oh, I've known this lady for almost two years. That's the first time I ever heard her say my name. And I turned and I looked and I thought, Ann. And she came down the hallway and she said, I know every day I see you go read your Bible and pray. And she said, my husband's going in for surgery tomorrow. He has diabetes really bad. They're talking about taking his legs off at the knees and maybe one at the hip. And I know you pray. Would you pray for my husband? Now, she was a Jewish lady. And I always try to be kind to Ann. In fact, she ate popcorn for lunch every day. I don't know why. She just did. So I bought her popcorn and she threw it in the trash. She thought maybe I poisoned it. I don't know. (laughs) But I brought her some, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the popcorn, you know, the Orville Rettenbacher kind of thing, you know, just stick the bag in the microwave. She used to eat those every day for lunch. So we were over at Costco, and I said, hey, Ann, I was over at Costco, and I got you some of these. Boom. But this day was different. Ann was suffering. And she came to me, and she said, would you pray 
for my husband. Now, I thought I was suffering dealing with her. You with me? I thought I was suffering and dealing with her. But God used that to change that relationship. Now, when her husband went in, he didn't have to get the surgery in, in detail the way that I described to you, but they did have to remove a portion of his foot and I think some toes on another foot. But the surgery wasn't as to the magnitude that she thought. And she came and in one day and she said, did, did you pray? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I've been praying. I said, I didn't hear from you, so I didn't know what happened. She said, the results were far better than what we thought. From that day forward, Ann Hillishon, I could not do wrong in that lady's eyes. Now I want to tell you, who did that? Me or my God? My God did that. And I thought all the while I'm doing this suffering, I'd go to Pastor Nichols and say, this lady's just driving me crazy. And I'd try to talk to him and he'd say, listen, just, just do what I, right. Now let me get you to get a hold of this. Write this verse down. You don't have to turn there. And I know some of you know this, but I really want you to get a hold of this. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Think about that for just a moment. God said in His Word, for our light affliction, which is but for how long? Just a moment. And He says, listen, there's something valuable about this, though. And the value is, is that it has an eternal weight of glory. It's not just about us sometimes, and we think it is. We're told that we are not the only ones going through tough circumstances as demonstrated by the prophets, and they're our example. Therefore, consider when you're going through a hardship. Is there perhaps an example for others to see? And through your patience and suffering, you demonstrate the power of the Lord in your life. Just take that into consideration for a moment. That you, in your suffering, you handle it properly, and then that is an example, maybe to even an unsaved person, of the power of God. And God wants to use that in your life. Consider when you're going through that hardship, what encouragements do we receive from their suffering? They were in the will of God, yet they suffered. They were doing what God wanted them to do. They were witnessing in the name of the Lord, and they were suffering. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I want to take it just a step further, okay? Did Christ not suffer even though He had done right? In fact, it led to the cross, didn't it? In the midst of his suffering, he had patience, did he not? Oh, I believe there are many times that Christ could have called 10,000 angels, amen? And he could have gotten out of any situation at any moment in time, but he didn't. He endured. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye... When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. They did the same thing. And listen, going door knocking, sometimes people slam the door in our face. Amen? I've had people tell me I hate people like you. I've been screamed at. I've been chased by dogs. I have been yelled at. I have been, get out of my yard. <laughs> that pales in comparison, doesn't it? And as I look at this, Satan tells the faithful this. He tells the faithful Christian, hey, listen, your suffering is always, always a result of your sin and unfaithfulness. 
I want you to know that's not true. Amen? If it were true, Job's story couldn't be true. <laughs> Amen? Have you considered my servant who? Job. Just because you're suffering or just because you're going through something. And listen, that ought to teach us a lesson as Christians sometimes that just because somebody's going through something, don't start throwing darts at them because they may be doing right and just things are happening to them and God may be using their life. So make sure you don't throw the darts because you might be the next dartboard, amen? And the thing of it is, is that you've got to remember that sometimes those sufferings enter in and God's trying to use your life. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, listen to this, shall suffer persecution. That's hard to imagine. But it's true. If you're living for Christ, you can expect some trouble. Never think that obedience, by the way, automatically produces ease and pleasure because our Lord was obedient and He went to the cross. Just because we're being obedient doesn't mean it comes with ease all the time. And the prophets encourage us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through sufferings for his sake. Now, many of the prophets had to endure some great trials. And you consider, I mean, Kathy, you read this morning from Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. And and when you go back and you take that and you put that back into context and you look at all that's happening there and you think about what Jeremiah was going through, he was going through some suffering. And listen, when they put him in the stocks back then, It wasn't like what you see in Williamsburg where somebody's got their hand through and, hey, take my picture. It didn't work like that. And sometimes what they would do is they would contort their body and put them in stocks and then they would raise them up in the air. And by the way, those were the kind of stocks that Jeremiah saw. And listen, in the midst of his suffering, he knew God had an expected end for him. He knew God had an expected end for Israel. And so sometimes this suffering comes and God's using your life. Now, he uses the life of Job as the example to share with us. God's not cruel, but I believe Job really shows the tender mercy of God. I believe when you look at all that happened to Job, you're saying, but look at what happened in his life. I think it shows the tender mercy of God. Because what did he do in the end for Job? And really, if Job's life had been taken, where would Job be in eternity? Amen? So what did God use his life for? To show you and me that in the midst of suffering sometimes, it's not always about sin and unfaithfulness, as Satan would have you to believe, but sometimes you are doing right, and things happen to us, and God is using you to be an example to other people around you. It's hard to take that in, isn't it? Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? He tells us that in Hebrews. So Job is our example endured through morality, through integrity he showed us. And James then reminded you not to be flippant. And I want you to look at this last verse. And I just want you to think about this for just a moment. In verse 12 he said, but above all things, and I love this. He's telling us to be patient. And then he gets to this last verse and you're thinking, how does this all fit in? And he says, but above all things, let me tell you something else. Above all that I just shared with you, let me tell you this one more thing. He says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into, what's the word again? He brings up condemnation again. Do you know what he told us? Be a man of your word. Amen? Now, he never says that you can't make an oath because... 
we can make an oath, and I'll show you in just a moment that it's true, it's biblical. He was saying, when you make an oath, when you do this thing, don't back out. Amen? You know, how many of you like it whenever someone says, well, maybe? Oh, what does that mean? Maybe doesn't tell me anything, does it? Well, maybe, maybe. Maybe what? Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe in between, maybe someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe tonight. I mean, I don't know. What does that mean? And God said, let your yay be yay and your what? Maybe nay. I've always tried to be with my kids. When they would ask me something, I would say yes or no. One of them came to me just the other day and said, I want to do this. I said, let me, let me talk to your mom about this. Let me pray about this. And I said, let me get back with you. And so we talked about it, we prayed about it, and I brought him back in the room, and I said, no. <laughs> I didn't have the peace of God about it. And I just said, no. And you say, well, why did you just say no? And then I explained to them the answer. I didn't have to. It's my child, amen. But I chose to tell them why I said no. The Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Don't change. Don't flip-flop. Now, here's the thing. We're reminded not to be flippant or profane or blasphemous in our oaths. And he didn't forbid it. He just defined it and said, make it properly. So to make a flippant oath was to place you in danger of condemnation again. Among the saved, it would cause you to be in condemnation. They would say, well, you're just not a person of your word. Under the, among the unsaved, it'd bring condemnation upon your life because they were going to try to kill you. And then, most of all, what about your Heavenly Father? <laughs> what He sees in your life? Uh, how many of you ever saw the film, The End? I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. There's a film called The End. Uh, uh, Burt Reynolds played in this. I saw it when I was young. But Burt Reynolds wanted to take his own life. And so he couldn't do it, so he wanted to pay somebody to do it. So he paid Dom DeLuise. How many of you remember Dom DeLuise? He paid Dom DeLuise to do this thing. So all the while through the movie, he said, no matter what I say, he tells him, he says, no matter what I say, I want you to, you know, I want you to take my life when you get an opportunity. So he's, he paid him to do this thing. So Dom DeLuise, through the whole movie, is trying to take Burt Reynolds' life. And so Burt Reynolds, every time he was in a situation where his life was about to be taken, he pleaded with him and he let him go. And in the end, Burt Reynolds finally decides, I'm going to do it myself, and he swims all the way out in the ocean. And he gets so far out, it's hard to get back. And he's out there and he's just waiting in the water. Then he realizes while he's out in the water, guess what? He doesn't want to die. He begins to bargain with God. And he says, Lord, if you let me make it back, I'll do this. And he starts explaining all the things he'll do for him. But I want you to know this. As he got a little closer to shore, what he was going to do for God got less and less and less and less. And by the time he rolled onto the shore, he said, oh, Lord God, thanks for saving me. And I'll get back with you on all the stuff that I said to you. Now, let me give you a biblical principle. Write this down. You can go look it up for yourselves, and you can study it out. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says this. He said, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. He said, Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? When you say yes, 
and you have the ability to fulfill the yes and you don't do it, that's a problem with God. <laughs> and vice versa, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Now, why? He brought up the subject of condemnation again. Do you know why I believe he did that? Because he told us the prophets were our example and they stood by the truth of the word of God. They let it be Jesus Christ is the Savior. And I don't think their mind changed. And so it's imperative that our words match our walk. How many of you understand what I just said? It's imperative that our words match our walk. The things that we say ought to match what we do. Amen? And so as Christians, I think it's imperative that our words match our walk and that in the midst of our suffering, remember that the Lord may be using you as an example to others. So take it patiently and be careful what you say in your times of waiting and be careful what you say in your times of suffering because I want you to know God's listening. (laughs) Amen? And He knows when you're trying to cut a deal. And He knows when you're sincere. Patience. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Lord, I know there are times when troubles arise and, Lord, you're using our life as a testimony to others. But I believe, Lord, as we remain faithful to you, you'll carry us through those situations. Lord, help us to endure patiently. Lord, in times of waiting, in times of suffering, would you use our lives? Use the trials of this life, Lord, to help us trust you more. Help us to turn to you in our times of need. Help us to be a faithful servant. And Lord, let us be a people of our word. When we say yes, let us mean it. When we say no, Lord, let us mean it. Help us, Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's quietly stand to our feet. You're here tonight, you know you're saved. You say, Pastor, I have no doubt about that. Heaven is my home. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you hold your hand up real high? Hold it up real high. Know that heaven is my home. Amen. Show hands. We've got a room full of saved people. Here's what I want to challenge you with tonight. Lord, help me in that area of patience. In my times of waiting and even in our times of suffering, Lord, help me in that area of my life. Help me to be faithful. You say tonight, Pastor, would you pray for me? I do. In, in, in times of waiting, in times of suffering, whatever it may be, I'm asking God to help me to endure through those times and realize that he's there for me carry me through those times. Would you pray with me tonight, Pastor? Just slip your hand up. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 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 Anyone else? Now listen, I know you can stay in your seat, but I want to just ask you, would you just take a moment and come share your heart with the Lord? Let Him help you with whatever that is. There's an opportunity for you to come and share your heart with Him tonight. Miss Epperly is going to begin to play. As soon as she hits that first note, would you just step right out? Step right out. You raise your hand. Maybe you didn't. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. You just take a moment and just say, Lord, help me with this. Help me in this area of my life. You come right now as the Lord leads you. Come.
Amen. It's good to have you here tonight. Now listen, this week you go home and you pray and say, Lord, help me with my patience. And then when he does, <laughs> I think he does it by letting a test come by and see if you're going to fulfill it. Amen. And so, um, but listen, we need to heed to the scriptures. Amen. And the word of God is truth. So we need to handle it that way. Uh, appreciate Brother Dan Moeller. Amen. He drove bus all week for Vacation Bible Time. Appreciate what he did for us. So Brother Dan, why don't you come on up here? And uh, you can dismiss us in a word of prayer. And I uh, appreciate uh, him driving that bus. He had a smile on his face every night. Amen? Every night. Just smiled, and when they all got on there, he'd give me a thumbs up. <laughs> so appreciate it, Dan. Come on in. Lord, let us pray now. Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this good day we had, Lord. And we just thank you for all our visitors we had this morning, Lord. And God, we uh, thank you for everything you do for our church, Lord. And God, we just pray now that uh, we would be in your word, Lord. Give us the desire, Lord, to read and study your word. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>